Today I'm reading from John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. We're uh, kind of alternating, talking about the questions that Jesus asked. And uh, the question today is, where are your accusers? John 8, beginning with verse 1. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They're using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him first be, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The elder ones first, until only Jesus was left. The woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave this life of sin. You know, as you go through this life, you're going to face a lot of criticism. Some people criticize, tear you down. Some because they don't like you, some because they're jealous, maybe they're insecure. But if you go through life, sooner or later, somebody's going to say something bad about you. Some may say to your face, sometimes behind your back. While I was working in the prison, I had an inmate that worked closer with me. And he was saying, you know, the inmates in the prison are like crabs in a bucket. He said, if one tries to get more education or other skills, the others try to grab him and pull him back down again. That's the way this life seems to be. And I think in the story here, there's some great lessons on both giving criticism and receiving it in our own lives. First of all, there is the charge. The charge is made by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they were religious people, but not necessarily righteous ones. And they came making the accusation against this woman, saying that she had been caught in adultery. But there are a lot of unanswered questions. First of all, we don't know her name. We don't know whether she was young or older, more mature, like some of us. We don't know whether she was pretty or not so attractive. We don't know whether she was married. And I believe the biggest question of all is, where was the guy? You know, in Leviticus it says, both the man and the woman are to be punished. Is this some kind of uh, discrimination against women? We certainly don't want to do that. But they brought her and they threw her standing up in the midst. Jesus was sitting down teaching. All these questions about the woman, we don't know very much about her. But we do know that 
They seemingly had caught her and wanted Jesus to do something about it. You know, a lot of times, we don't know all the circumstances behind what people do. Only God knows that. Ruth Knowles was writing in her book that she told about herself. She said she was living in this high-rise apartment. And the next building was very close, and she could see the lady sitting behind the room of the other in her own apartment. She said she never made that lady, she never talked to her. But the lady was sewing, crocheting, doing other things, and she said again and again, I wonder why she doesn't clean her dirty window. It was unattractive to have to come this dirty window every day. Well, springtime came, and she decided to do a spring cleaning of her place, and she cleaned up everything in the inside, and she cleaned her windows. She sat down that evening, and she looked out, and it was clear. The dirty windows was from her apartment, not from the lady next door. She had made the accusation, the charges against another, that were absolutely false. They were not true. Secondly, there is the case. The man charged, and now they're making a case against the woman. And they said, you know, according to the law of Moses, this woman was to be stoned. And then they said to Jesus, Jesus' teacher, what did he say? Now, it's clear this was a trap from the beginning. They tried to trap Jesus again and again in the Bible. Every time they were unsuccessful, you think they might give up after a while, but they did not. Here's why it was a trap. Israel was under the rule of law. Because of that, there were things that they were not allowed to do. Rome gave some good things, but one thing that they did not allow was capital punishment without their permission. That is why Jesus, later on, had to be taken before Pilate so that Pilate could give approval for his death because the religious leaders were not allowed to do that. So if Jesus said, yes, she should be put to death, he would have been in trouble with the Roman authorities. On the other hand, if he said, nah, you know, let her go. Maybe she'll change it. He would have been abrogating the words of Moses. And so he did neither on that occasion. He recognized that it was a trap, and he just didn't do anything. Last week, uh, Pastor Bill was talking about not trying to take out the speck from your brother's eye and have a plank in your own. He said, first of all, clean out the plank, and then you can see clearly to be able to see the speck in somebody else's eye. But don't do it before that. I remember when uh, I was a member of a church once, wasn't the pastor. I was serving a lot of times as interim pastor at the church, but I had another job. And I was at the church, and there was a, a likable family there. Guy's name was John. And John had an affair with another woman. And he was found out. And his whole family was devastated. Wife, children. John talked to me several times and called me on the phone and we talked. And he was dreadfully sorry for what he had done. He said, I, I wish that I could take it all back, but I could only ask for God's forgiveness. And he was determined to, to make his family work because the family was willing to do that with him. But then the church that we were part of decided that 
It was serious enough that they had to take some action. Uh, they were going to disfellowship them, meaning they were going to take this membership away from them. And so we had a meeting. The pastor was in favor of taking the membership, and some other denominational leaders that were in the church were in favor of that. And I got up and spoke. I said, it seems to me that we're doing all this in the wrong way. Jesus said, if somebody sinned, go one-on-one -on -one with that person and talk to them about it. And if they repent, you want a brother back. And the matter's problem. If that doesn't work, go with one or two others. Listen to them, try to get them to repent. And if that works, then the matter's wrong. You're not supposed to be breaking it before anybody else. It is only if they refuse to repent at that point that they are brought before the congregation to make a decision. And even there, the desire is that they would be reconciled again to the fellowship of the God. I said, it's not our job to punish. It is our job to be in the business of reconciliation. And I pointed out that uh, Peter had told Jesus to follow him anywhere. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, finally, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you, and when you fail, your faith will not be utterly destroyed. And then I want you to strengthen the brothers. That was Jesus' point, restoration. Well, I'd like to say that the church agreed, but they did not. They removed his membership. He and his family were further devastated by that. Fortunately, they, they decided to go to another church where they could heal together. And I got to see him probably about three years ago. His children are all gone now and married. And he and his wife, I don't believe, have ever been closer together. They have a delightful marriage. She was able to forgive him. But I think the church in that case was overly critical. Trying to take on a punishment that God had not given them the right to do. And thirdly, there's a challenge. He said, uh, Teacher, you know, what are we going to do about this? And the Bible says that Jesus did something strange that he never did before. He started writing. You know, he was writing here to dust and sand, but he never, as far as we know, wrote anything else. It's been recorded. All of the New Testament about him was written by somebody else. Uh, the apostles, uh, followers. Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Most of it focused upon Christ, but Jesus didn't write anything that was recorded. Some people would say, what was Jesus writing about? And there have been all sorts of speculation about what he might have been writing. Some said, maybe it was the Ten Commandments, and possibly that's true. Uh, maybe he was writing down their names, and that's a possibility. Uh, maybe he was writing down their sins. That's possible. In fact, the New Revised Standard Version has in the footnote that some of the ancient texts say that he was writing down their sins. Uh, that would have certainly gotten to them. Said, uh, he that is without sin, let him cast for so. You know, I, I was looking, thinking about the Old Testament, the writing. We have our expression, the handwriting is on the wall. 
And there was the cost of a Babylonian ruler by the name of Belshazzar. And uh, at that time, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. And so he took some of the golden chalices that had been in the temple, and they were having a grand party, an orgy perhaps. And he took the cups, the holy cups from the temple, and started passing them around. Then they began serving and worshiping their own gods. And suddenly, out of nowhere, a hand appeared and beginning, began to write on the wall many, many Tiku Yubarsim. Uh, I don't remember all the Hebrew that I learned, but I do remember that. But then Belshazzar saw that and he didn't know what it meant. Wasn't able to interpret it all the wise men did nothing. And so finally, uh, his wife said, well, we have Daniel. And Daniel's pretty good at that sort of thing. Bring him in here. So he did. Daniel came in and he read it. He understood not only the Hebrew, but the meaning behind it. The translation that's usually given in English is something like, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Then Daniel explained, your life is going to be taken from you because of what you've done. So that very night, the Persians came in and captured the, the king and put him to death. Well, Jesus was writing not one time, but he actually wrote twice. The Bible says, because of what he said, and maybe also perhaps because of the writing of the sand, they began to turn and they walked away. If they had rocks in their hands, uh, they threw them down. It says the elders went first and then the younger ones. Maybe the elders were smarter to know that they had lost this battle and they needed to get away. Or Jesus, who seemed to know everything, was going to communicate their sins to everybody else. But they all walked away. Romans 8.34 says, Who is it who condemns? Jesus Christ. The righteous. Others. How qualified are you to criticize or blame or judge somebody else? The only way that you can possibly do that is to be free of sin. Who here claims to be free of sin? And yet, sometimes we even blame and we criticize fellow believers. That's not our job. We don't have that responsibility. So finally, we come to the condemnation. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? Has anyone, is anyone here to condemn you? And she said, Lord, they all are gone. No, there is no condemnation. And Jesus said to her, then I do not condemn you either. But then he added, but go and sin no more. He didn't excuse her sin, just as he does not excuse our sin. But he says, we have no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. Dwight L. Moody was a great preacher in the 19th century. And he was, he was never an ordained minister. In fact, he was terrible at English. He, people laughed at him sometimes because of his English, but he was a man of great power, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And on one occasion, there was a man that had been a burglar. His name was Burke. He was converted and his life completely changed. He became a new person. He still had a hard time finding a job because 
uh, the scars of the sin were still upon his face, and people remembered his reputation before. And sometimes he actually prayed, Lord, make me better looking so that I can get a job. But he moved from job to job and even city to city. But finally, one day he came back and the sheriff called for him. He said, oh no, my goodness. He found out that I did something before I became a Christian. He said, I will not lie. I refuse to lie anymore. He got before the sheriff and the sheriff said, uh, how are things going? Are you still following Christ? He said, oh yes, my faith is as strong as ever. It's been tough, but I still follow him. The sheriff said, you know, when you first made that decision, I didn't believe I thought you were faking. So I even sent somebody to follow you around, and the guy said to me, no, he is absolutely consistent on his own side. The sheriff said, because of that, I want to offer you a job or something. Well, he accepted it. A while later, we went to the sheriff's office, and there this man was. He had all these precious jewels worth some $60,000 in front of him. And he explained, the sheriff had confiscated these things and turned them over to him to take charge. And he said, can you imagine that? Me, a former worker, and he has confidence that I'm going to take care of these jewels. Christ changes our lives. Because of that, we don't have the right to criticize somebody else that he is saved and made in his own enemy. We don't understand everything. We don't know everything. We have sin in our lives. And so there are a couple of messages here today. First of all, if you're here and other people have criticized you or judged you or blamed you, what do you do? Well, you consider the source. Because no one has the right to criticize you except the one that is sinless, and so that's Christ and Christ alone. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. It is the Lord who judges me. Only God has the right to judge you. But secondly, you should hold your horses when you're tempted to complain and criticize somebody else because you have no right. Jesus said that he that is without sin casts the first stone. Unless you meet that qualification, you are not authorized to criticize and condemn anybody else. Now, my wife and I made some stones this week. We took some of them and wrote uh, John 8 7, which contains that verse, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And she uh, accidentally gave out a few of them beforehand. I, I wasn't going to get any until you were on your way out. I, I was afraid Jane might hold them while I was still up here. And I, I didn't want her to do that. So there, she said, uh, I'm just going to be standing in the back. Uh, take one of those stones and use it as a remembrance. Keep it on your desk or somewhere you can see it. So if you're tempted to criticize somebody else, read that. And remember, he that is without sin, cast for stone. That's not us. Thousands of God and Almighty Savior, we thank you for the tremendous lesson Christ has given us.
this life. Father, give us a determination to do so. God, if there's somebody that we have not forgiven, we pray today that we might forgive. And if we have used our tongues in the wrong way, instead of glorifying you, tear down those that have been made in your image, God, we pray that you will forgive us. Help us to restrain ourselves in peace. God, give us your blessing, your guidance, your empowerment for all that we do say. Let us, as believers, live by Christ. Or at this name we pray. Amen.